Hey there, and welcome to Truth Be Told, a theology and apologetics podcast not claiming to have all of the answers, but created to analytically look at the truth contained in the Bible and encourage critical thinking on how to apply that truth to our lives. I'm Micah Gunn, and I appreciate you listening in. No matter your level of understanding or knowledge, I sincerely hope and pray that you find these words edifying, informative, and beneficial. So let's get started. When I was 10 years old, I received a gift from my grandfather. He called ahead and he said, I'm coming with this present. Get Micah excited. It's going to be awesome. And it was my first bike. And I was pumped. Man, I was so excited to get this bike. He lived about 15, 20 minutes away. And as a kid, that's about a couple years. So it was a long wait. And finally, he pulls up, backs into the driveway, which took him even longer. And he opens up the back of his car that he had, and inside was my new bike. And it was bright purple. (laughs) And it had glitter all over the frame. It had these white handlebars with, like, frills hanging off of it. And I thought, man, Grandpa, what were you thinking? Oh, man, I got made fun of so much. I had to cut the streamers off, so at least those weren't flowing behind me. And I hated going out to ride with my friends. Every time they'd ask me, I was like, oh man, can't we do anything else but ride our bikes? Well, eventually, I begged for a new bike, and I finally got it. It was a couple years later, and I got to pick it myself. Got it for my birthday, and it was this awesome, huge, bright red bike had black all over, black handlebars. It was like four times taller than I was, which is pretty hard because I'm pretty tall. But it was awesome. Man, this thing was the coolest bike I had ever seen. I remember trying to ride it and I, I couldn't even get my legs over the thing. And then I had to learn how to, you know, ride a bike while not being able to touch the ground. And that was kind of tough for stopping. But still, I didn't care. It looked cool and I loved it. And then, a couple years later, I had the same bike, and I went on this trip, and it was called Goba, the Great Ohio Bike Adventure. And I thought, now's the time to test out this awesome bike. I was so excited. So I get there, and essentially what we do is we ride about 60 miles a day to another city in Ohio, and we just kind of circle Ohio. That's a lot. I mean, that's a lot for anybody. I don't know how professional bikers do it, but I thought... It's cake. I got this awesome bike. I can do it. But we got there, and half the time, it's pretty flat. You know, it's Ohio, so it's not like we got mountain ranges or anything. But other times, even the slightest hill would just start to drain on me. I was so tired by, like, day two because this bike weighed, like, 150 pounds, and I'm trying to bring it up these huge hills with me. And I remember we we got to this one spot. It was called the Devil's Backbone. And it was all downhill. And I was like, this is what this bike was made for. This is a mountain bike, and I'm finally on a mountain. But at the bottom of the devil's backbone, which we pretty much had to break all the way down so he wouldn't die, we had to go pretty much straight back up the devil's backbone. And it was nearly impossible. I had to get off, and I had to walk this huge, heavy bike up these hills that almost killed me. It was so bad that mid-trip, I had to actually end up selling this bike that I loved so much because there was no way I was gonna make it. It was either sell the bike or ride in the van the rest of the way and not really participate. So we decided to sell the bike and I bought a new one from Walmart, 
which is the best place to buy bikes. Not really, it's not a bike shop at all. Really, really cheap bike, but at least it was lighter. And man, this thing was like my salvation for the week. But even it, by the end of the week, the spokes were falling off. I'd have to go to the, I'd have to go to like the camp bike fix-it people and they'd have to fix the bike for me. And even it ended up being such a pain for me. So I hated how my grandpa's bike looked. I chose a bike for myself only to have it also be just the worst for the situation I found myself in. And then even the bike that I got that was meant to fix both of these bikes ended up being cheap because I had to get something quickly. And it was kind of a wreck too. And now even retelling the story, I start to feel a little bit like Goldilocks where it's like, oh, this one wasn't just right for me. And this one was a little bit heavy. And, but honestly, it had to be just right. What I expected, for what I expected in a bike, it had to be just right. And this is how we all are with gifts, I think. We open them with a little bit of trepidation we're hoping our reaction doesn't betray any disappointment we might have in the gift. We have kind of a sigh of relief when they present the receipt to us and say, you can exchange it. We're like, yeah, okay, thank you so much. And maybe we'd even rather people just get us cash instead of getting a gift. It's like, that's the perfect gift. I can get myself what I want. That thought that counts mentality is almost gone, but not quite. We still like getting gifts. We enjoy the suspense. Some of us probably like surprise. Some of us probably hate it. But either way, we like gifts. And we appreciate being thought of. I think that's, that's a universal thing. People enjoy being thought of. Another kind of a, a gift that gets a lot of attention, aside from birthday gifts, anniversary gifts, feast gifts, gifts just because, is spiritual gifts. We all want to know, what spiritual gifts have we been given? It's almost like one of the big mysteries of Christianity. Which one do I have? Which superpower is mine? We want to be, like, portray ourselves like we're the Avengers with our spiritual gifts. And we're so excited to find out what spiritual gifts we get. It becomes kind of like a rite of passage. How we know we're part of the church. We have spiritual gifts. That's how we know. God uses us. He works in us. We're all leaders, right? We treat spiritual gifts like they're supposed to be these superpowers, and we ask, when is something going to be different? When am I going to notice this power in me? When am I going to start feeling different or special? Similarly to how we might look at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, as it came to God's people with rushing winds, tongues of fire, and miracles of the gift of speech and languages, we can feel a bit shortchanged when we read that, because it doesn't happen for us that same way at baptism. But when we read things like we do in Exodus 35, if you'll begin turning there, we can start to feel the exact same way about spiritual gifts. In Exodus 35, starting in verse 30, we'll read about God and how he structured the building of the tabernacle, or how he wanted the tabernacle to be built. Uh, actually, that's just previous to Exodus 35. And then in Exodus 35 itself, starting in verse 30, it says this, And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge, and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. 
You think, man, that's a lot of things. One spirit, all those different things. That's a lot of spiritual gifts. What a lucky guy. But we keep reading. It doesn't even stop there. In verse 34, and he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him and in Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with the skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen, and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. And it doesn't stop here either. We have several examples of people working amazing things by virtue of the Holy Spirit granting them spiritual gifts, or through the Holy Spirit anyways. Peter and Paul, were told, could heal. They also had the ability of preaching, which Peter seemed to be a natural at even before the Holy Spirit, but he seemed to tone it down a little bit and kind of perfect his craft. Daniel and Ezekiel could prophesy. David could write music. Solomon was given wisdom to rule. Samson was given strength. And when we start to list these all together, they do kind of sound like superpowers. I mean, if I was forming an Avengers team, Samson having super strength, Solomon being the mega mind of the group, I'd, I'd probably collect these people together and think, all right, this is my team. So again, what are our spiritual gifts? Where are they? What kind should we be, we be on the lookout for? If you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll start reading in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 4, Paul says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are, different, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Paul goes on throughout this chapter and the next two to list different kinds of gifts. And included in that is the gift of apostleship. That's a position but Paul lists it amongst gifts. He also lists administration, which is a skill, but it's a gift. He also mentions psalms being gifts, teachings and interpretations being gifts, faith, hope, and love being gifts, with love being the greatest. And if we think about it, the Holy Spirit itself and the fruit of that Spirit are all gifts. And of course, let's not forget that salvation to eternal life is a gift from God. So I think we can see by how often Paul discusses gifts from God and he lists various things at different points, we can tell that he's not trying to make an exhaustive list to say, these are all the things you can expect as a spiritual gift. If you don't have one of these things, check yourself because you might not be as in the family as you think you are. Paul's not saying that. He's writing lists to draw precepts about what we can expect from spiritual gifts and showing us that everybody has different abilities and talents but they're meant for everyone to uh, enjoy and benefit from. But when discussing spiritual gifts, we often get hung up on certain ones that we see outlined in the Bible that we might not see as often today. And we think, man, those are the ones I want though. That's how I would really, really know that God is using me if I had that spiritual gift. Yeah, okay, administration is fine, but I want the gift of miracle working. 
Wouldn't that be awesome? Our gift of love? Yeah, okay. Everyone kind of gets that one. I'd rather have something I can really use, like prophetic foretelling. Man, I could just tell the future. That'd be sweet. Everyone would know that I'm from God at that point in time. That's the one I want. We're waiting on things. We're waiting on gifts that we want, that we would really, really appreciate from God. But I think this is backwards. I'd like to share a trick with you to find out what your gifts are. And it starts with just one simple question, goes on to another, and then goes on to another. So three questions we can ask ourselves to find out what our spiritual gifts are. And the first question is, what are you thankful for? It might not be something as immediately glorious as we're hoping for in a spiritual gift. It might not be something that only we can do and nobody else can. But what are we thankful for? In the book of Acts, we don't think about the fact that the ones that received the Holy Spirit with flames of fire on their head and a rushing wind were the 120 that were there at the, at the outset that followed Christ. Later that day, they baptized over 3,000 people. And there's no mention of tongues of fire for those people. There's no mention of a second rushing wind happening each and every time someone is baptized or lay their, laid hands on them. We forget that sometimes. 3,000 people didn't receive the exact same miracle that those 120 did. In Exodus with Bezalel and Aholiab receiving the gifts of handiwork and craftsmanship, we forget that they also received the gift of teaching. Presumably, this is to show others how to do the works that they were inspired to do. They taught, and those that they taught ended up receiving that same gift through their teaching. Maybe not in such a miraculous way, but I bet they still appreciated it. I bet the 3,000 in Acts 2 were grateful for the Holy Spirit and the promise of eternal life. And I bet Bezlo and Aholiab were grateful for their gifts, but I bet the people they taught were grateful to be part of the work of building the tabernacle, such a thing that they saw as important above all else, which is similar to what we're doing now. So what do we appreciate? Rather than waiting to be appreciative for gifts that we expect from God, let's work backwards and assume that he's given us good gifts. Let's look at what we appreciate to see what those things might be, rather than waiting for them to come and then thanking God later. Turn with me to James chapter 1. I'm going to go through a string of scripture here, and I'll probably flip back, back and forth. You don't have to follow me, but if you want, you got fast fingers, feel free to do it. But I'm going to try and connect a train of thought for you throughout Scripture, starting in James chapter 1. Beginning in verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And this is a, a section of Scripture talking about trials, and even being grateful for the trials that come to us. So what this is saying is all good gifts are from God, which is possible because of what it says in Deuteronomy 10, verse 14. All good gifts are from God, which is possible because, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens and the earth and all that is in it. Everything belongs to God. And because all things are his, they are his to give. And even when he gives something we can't see the good in immediately, like a trial, 
We can turn to Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Which is consistent with God's nature and his plan for us, because of what it says in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God can work all things for good in our lives, even the things that we've received that might not seem so good at the outset. And we know this is consistent because God thinks good thoughts towards us and wants to prosper us. And let's remember in Jeremiah 29, 11, he's talking to captives who were just ripped from their home and taken to enemy territory. So even in struggles, we can be grateful for the things God gives us and the positions God puts us in. So look at an attribute of your life. It could be an attribute you have. It could be a job that you hold. It could be a trial you're going through right now or have gone through that now you see a benefit in. It could be a person you know. It could be anything that you have in your life because all things come from God. And then ask yourselves three questions. The first one, we've already gone over, do I appreciate it? What do I appreciate? Do I appreciate this thing? The second question to ask ourselves is if not, should I? Is it something I should appreciate? And then thirdly, ask ourselves, how can I use it? Because that is really what spiritual gifts are all about. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. It says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That's what it's all about. Using your gifts for the profit of all. Using what God has given you, whether a good thing or a thing that we perceive to be bad, for the benefit of other people. So that God can work all things together for good. If we skip on down to verse 11, we'll find another aspect of this. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually... As he wills. So anytime we think, I don't have this, I want that instead. We also should be thinking, is it God's will that we should have that? Or are we kicking against the will of God, trying to get things that he doesn't really have a purpose for us having? When my grandpa got me a bike, I immediately hated it. The first thing I saw was the bright purple and the frills on the side, and I hated this bike. I saw all the potential problems it had, and it was nothing like the bike that I thought he'd be bringing over. Trust me, I had visions of what that bike was going to look like. This was not it. But I didn't stop to think that my grandpa was trying to do a nice thing for me, or that it showed his love and appreciation for me, or that he thought of me, or how I could join my friends when they asked me to go riding, whereas before I had no opportunity to spend time with them. When I chose my bike for myself, I thought it was everything I wanted. This is the gift that should have come to me the first time. But it wasn't. I thought I had it all worked out in my head what the best bike would be. And then suddenly, I needed something different. Suddenly, this bike was not the best bike. It was the absolute worst bike. And then when I quickly bought a bike for myself, trying to fix the issues from the other two bikes, even it fell apart and wasn't perfect. I could do nothing 
when I thought I had control of everything. I wasn't thankful for the gifts that I had, and so I didn't even recognize them as gifts. When presented the opportunity to exert my own will over the gift that I would receive, I chose poorly twice. And I am betting I would several times over after that because I don't know that much about bikes. So rather than being concerned over the spiritual gifts that God has given us and searching high and low for what we might have that others don't have or what amazing new things we can do through God, we should look to what his will is and ask him to let us know he's working in us. Let's assume that he's given us good gifts because he promises that he will. And then look for what we appreciate in our lives. Look for what we should appreciate in our lives, even if it's hard to appreciate at the time. And then look for ways that we can use those things for the benefit of those around us. If we ask ourselves those three questions and examine our lives in such a way as this, then we'll know exactly what our gifts from God are.